How can we teach a child to be more optimistic? We see this with mindset in terms of being more positive versus less positive. A situation unfolds and you see your kid who can be more predisposed to look at the ways in which the world is not conspiring in their favor or they see all the negative things. The great news is that we're seeing that there's a large part of this of our mindset that's malleable. So while genes and the environment might provide us kind of a baseline of how happy we are, how positive we are, optimistic, we absolutely at any moment in our lives, we can train our brain to see the world in a different way. Yeah, that's a clip that you just heard, and that's from the Happy Child Summit, which is coming up shortly, which you can hear some of the world's biggest experts on happiness. You can hear them with this summit, and that is a summit from Go Zen. And my partner, Rini Jane, was interviews these amazing people. And you can get all of that at... It's happychildsummit.com. Okay, hap- happychildsummit.com. Come listen to 20 experts from around the world for free coming up. And also you can buy the recording. So that's at happychildsummit.com. And you're listening to Dear Anxiety, the show that's going to talk about happiness today. And it's the show about mental health. It's a show about how we relate to our thoughts and feelings. It's a show about emotional fitness. It's a show about well-being, being well. And it's a show about practice, practicing skills that will help us in today's world to be happy, which is a miracle, actually. We're going to talk all about happiness today. You don't really hear people talk about it that much anymore because it's really not a thing anymore. We've lost touch with it. But that's what we're going to talk about today, how to practice it. And my partner is phenomenal at happiness. She is a happiness expert because she seems to be pretty happy as things go. It doesn't come by accident, though. It's a conscious practice. And she has an apply, a degree in applied positive psychology from University of Pennsylvania. She's no slouch. And her company, Go Zen, is incredible because it teaches kids and adults and teachers, parents all over the world, resilient skills, how to live happier and healthier. And Rini, happiness. If you're happy and you know it, what will you do? <laughs> Clap your hands, of, of course. course I am just really happy that you said I'm not a slouch and that you also said that I'm happy. So I hope my brother is listening right now because I don't think he thinks either of those things. In fact, when we were growing up, and I'm going to date myself, but we used to watch the A-Team. And I don't know if you remember A-Team, Ed, but there was a character, Mr. T, who played B.A. Baracus, and B.A. stood for bad attitude. Okay, <laughs> it didn't stand for anything cool. Yeah. And my brother used to call me B.A. Baracus because he believed that I had a bad attitude about everything. Well, <laughs> so it's kind of funny that I've gone into researching the science of happiness and well-being. It's funny, our families don't really know us. <laughs> they don't, they know they know a part of us, but they don't know all of us and I don't I'm not sure why that is. It's hard to communicate in a family, even with a very loving family. Yeah, I there, I have a lot to say about that, but but so you you're the first person though, Rini, that I ever heard say the words happiness skills. And to me, oh yeah. I don't it's a skill. Yeah, to me yeah. I didn't, you know, I don't think anybody, I think most people listening will not would not think of happiness as a skill. You know what? I mean, I think that if you look at through through many, many different lenses and whatever your background is, you're going to have a particular lens, but especially in some kind of 
scientific field, you're coming to the world with a particular view. So if you study biology, for example, or if if you study the ancient human, for example, then the way that you're going to look at happiness is you're going to say, well, listen, you know, humans developed to survive and the brain's job was really just for survival. So it was actually very important for us to be aware of the dangerous things in our surroundings, which gave us a negativity bias. We are aware of the bad things that happen to us and we hyper focus on them. So that helps us stay alive. And depending what school of thought you come from, there are many different versions of this, but they all come to the same conclusion, which is that it's really easy to focus on the bad stuff. Bad stuff weighs heavier than the good stuff. So we need to train our brains to live in this modern environment where we're generally not being chased by a saber-toothed cat, and we need to practice happiness skills so that we can really attend to the good stuff that's happening in our life because our brain finds these patterns where it's looking for the bad stuff and it ruminates on the bad stuff. So yeah, it's a skill. It's a skill. And I don't and I want to clarify something too. I would be miserable if I were trying to be happy all the time. I know that sounds kind of kooky. (laughs) In this pursuit of happiness, I'm actually not trying to just be happy, joyful, grateful, savoring, cheerful. I think that that is something that's surface level. Actually, they did this really interesting study where they measured people's happiness, right? They asked them, how much joy do you have in a day? You know, like, well, how many times in a year do you feel happy? Questions like that. And happiness is this thing that's like fleeting. It's this feeling that comes and it goes and it's pleasure. And then they ask them about meaning. What things in your life provide you meaning? Do you feel like you're contributing something to the world? Do you feel like you're doing something that's greater than yourself? Do you feel like you have purpose? They asked them questions about meaning. And what they found is that if you are pursuing happiness without meaning, eventually it makes you miserable. Isn't that interesting? It is interesting, yeah. So there's nothing wrong with happiness, but I want to be clear, this isn't about getting rid of all of our other emotions. They're all part of our humanity. And really, happiness can be so much more than just feeling cheery and happy. Yeah, it's interesting because that movie Happy, right, the documentary talks about, you know, what it is that makes people happy. And of course, what they found is they found that purpose and meaning and being connected to other people. Are the, thing, are the cornerstones of what makes people happy. Money is way down on the list, not even close. And that's around the world. That's from studying happiness around the world. They, came, they figured this out. And so I think when you talk about happiness skills, there's a misconception about happiness, right, that you've just talked about, which is, which is that it is cheery and it is, you know, without a care in the world. And it is free of other, of other things going on. To me, I think it's funny that we live in a country where it's life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, because it's the pursuit of happiness. Nothing will make you more unhappy than pursuing something that's already inside of you. Oh, my goodness. Pursuing it relentlessly, pursuing it to no end, right? Until you're completely miserable. Uh, Yeah. I I think there's another big misconception about happiness, and that is this. I think that we look at our lives, think of a couple problems that you have in your life. Ed, do you have enough only that you a can couple? think of a couple problems? <clears throat> okay, think, only a couple. Yeah, it's going to make... Yeah. Okay, think of a couple okay, problems. So anyone that's listening, think of a couple problems that you have in your life. The big ones, the ones that cause you, you know, like real sore points. And 
It's very easy for us to fall into the trap where we believe that if we get rid of those things, right, imagine they were gone, poof, snap, disappear, they're gone. They're gone out of your life. Do you think that if those things that I just asked you to focus on were gone, that you would actually be happy? And the answer, of course, is, you know, I I fantasize about that. I imagine that. But no, of course, wouldn't be because what is making me happy or unhappy is the way that I relate to things. I always like to say that, you know, we should think about the ability for the human being to be happy and unhappy at the same time. Have you ever had a a bittersweet moment? Yes. Let's say that you're child is going off to school for the first time and you're so excited and you're proud and you're like, wow, this moment has come. But then you're sad and you're like, oh my goodness, this moment has come. It's bittersweet. It's actually amazing that you, these two types of feelings can coexist. And what they have found in the human system is that decreasing what is going wrong is actually a different system and different processing than increasing what is going right. So these are two different things. So in other words, working on your problems and getting rid of the stuff that you don't want in your life is not the same as increasing the good stuff. Getting rid of the bad stuff, not the same as increasing the good stuff, which is awesome news because if you're stuck, like with, especially if you're working with a child and your child is anxious and they're worried and you have been hammering this head on. How do I get rid of the worry? How do I get rid of the anxiety? How do I get rid of the stress? How do I get rid of the overwhelm? The good news is, is that while you are working on techniques to do that separately, you can work on these skills of well-being and it actually affects a different part of your system. But you need both, right? Because there's a theory. You You need both. But if you have a finite amount of energy and you're only spending that energy all on one, I'm saying that there there are other pathways and we should reframe what we're doing because I think we do it in a really linear way. And that way is this. Let me fix my problems and then I can work on the good stuff. I don't have time to focus on, you know, these practices of well-being, gratitude, savoring, meditation. I don't have time to do that stuff because, listen, I have real problems. My child is refusing to go to school, so please don't give me a gratitude exercise to fix that. And I completely and wholeheartedly understand that. But what I'm saying is that our our approach to well-being really needs to be more holistic. So yes, Ed, to, you know, to answer what you are asking, it does need to be both. And I don't think we do both. I think we focus on the bad stuff because our brain is wired to do so. See, I've been on the, and I think what happens is you get, you get, uh, well, myself, I go into extremes, which is basically, there's a, there's a belief that if I will do the good stuff, if I will do the increasing good in my life, if I will do skills of well-being, I'll do them with an agenda. And the agenda is this, that I feel better. The reason why I do it is because I want to feel better. I want my life to be better. And I feel like sometimes what happens is that creates an expectation and it sort of short circuits the increasing good process. So, for example, if you start to practice meditating, if you start to practice meditation, you're doing it with the agenda that you want to feel better. Correct. And then do you get aggravated if you're not feeling better? Well, or do you feel stressed out? I, because I feel like, up, I feel up. I have to do my meditation. Yeah. And I feel upset that it doesn't have a cause and effect. You know, I'm not I'm grading it on a very narrow curve. It's like I'm doing this today. I'm practicing gratitude now. Why aren't things changing quickly? 
Yes, we are so wired to measure progress in every single way and quantify, especially in the age of quantification, where you can see all sorts of progress in terms of how many likes do I have? How many of this do I have? How Let me measure my weight. Everything is measured. And so we're like, listen, I started practicing this three blessings exercise four days ago, and I do not see an improvement. That needle is not moving when it comes to well-being. I think that we need to be easier on ourselves. We need to understand that while there are probably a thousand books with the title 21 Days to X, Y, and Z, there's actually no real research that shows that habits can be developed in 21 days. I think that what we need to do is incorporate things into our life that we can incorporate into our life in a way that we commit to, okay, listen, I'm going to adopt one practice. I'm going to try it and I'm not even going to measure it. It's like when I started going to the gym after I had kids and my husband said to me, just don't even, you know, when I go to the gym, it's like, don't even look in the mirror. Don't measure the progress. Just do it for the sake of doing it and enjoy the process. And then you can look at the progress later, but it's, you know, you need to have some space from it in order to measure and see and feel if it's working from you. Yeah. You can't keep looking at it. You can't keep measuring it. Yeah, that's true. And also to do something, I think, I don't know if you're one of those people. I, you know, I have high, I overdo it. I set my sights too high and I'm not realistic about where I'm at and what I'm doing. So I'm always like sort of ahead of myself. And what I mean by that is, so last night I did yoga for seven minutes. I did a seven minute routine. Congratulations. Yeah. And I would say, ordinarily, I would say, no, seven minutes, what can you do in seven minutes? But what I'm learning in practicing, you know, skills of well-being, whatever they may be, meditation, tapping, yoga, whatever it is, welcoming, it's not a drastic change. It's a subtle change. It's a softness. It's a calmness. It's a different, you know, it's a different flavor of ice cream. But what's great about that is that's really where life is. I think when you're so hell-bent on stress and surviving, I think your ability to read and to sense what's going on in your life changes. And you can't really figure out how to get out of that loop. I love that. I think that Doing seven minutes of yoga is actually amazing. I think it takes a lot to show up to your practice. I think it takes a lot to do the practice and then to really acknowledge the fact that you did something, right? So I think that's amazing. And I am inspired to do seven minutes of yoga tonight just because of you. Yeah, well, well, good. That's, that's good. That makes me feel good. And tonight I'm going to do seven and a half. But I'm not going to beat myself up if I don't. That's what I'm. <laughs> there thinking. you go. I'll, yeah, I'm gonna. I'm gonna finish it. I'm gonna. I'm gonna incorporate it into my life. So when we say happiness, if you say what are your favorite three happiness skills or happiness practices, it's a hard question for me to answer. But I'll ask you because you 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 have some. So I want to tell you this funny story. I before I married my husband Sean, for some reason someone gifted us this pre-marriage counseling yeah it was oh, that's yeah. what it was that was what it was basically a counselor came over to see us it was one session and he actually taught me this practice that Sean and I have been doing now for the last nine years eight years that we've been married I'm like can we edit that because I'm actually not sure if it's been eight or nine 
Well, that's why you're so happy because you don't. That's why I'm so yeah. happy. I'm not sure if it's been eight or nine yeah. years. It's been something like that. Maybe it's been 10. No, I'm not sure. Okay. I'm not good with timelines like that. But listen to what he told me. He said that he was talking about marriage and he was like, listen, my wife and I, and he was referring to himself, had this issue where we were super, super happy. And then the marriage goes on and then we're starting to become unhappy with each other. And and so I went to a counselor and I said, okay, so now the counselor is telling me about his counseling. This is already interesting. And so he says, my counselor said to me, well, what happens when you go home? And he said, well, you know, when I used to go home, it was just my wife and I, and we used to just hang hang out together and spend time together and talk about our days. And now we've had these kids and we have a dog. So I get home and I notice, you know, the kids used to run to the door and the dog used to run to the door. My wife used to run to the door. And then it was like, you know, (laughs) my kids don't come anymore. My wife used to come. Now my wife doesn't come anymore. And just the dog comes. And sometimes the dog doesn't even come to the door. And it's totally depressing. So I'm listening to this thinking, oh, my goodness, what am I supposed to be taking out of this? So he said, my counselor told me that when I come to the door, I am supposed to have a ritual with my wife that I do every single day to reconnect. And so I couldn't figure out what this ritual would be because I'm thinking to myself, the only person that's happy to see me is basically the dog. And so you know what? So he comes home and he rings the doorbell and his wife, the counselor, told his wife to start coming to the door again. So she comes to the door and the dog comes to the door barking and he walks in the door and he starts barking at his wife (laughs) really loud. And so she looks at him and she starts barking. And so this is their ritual that he calls top the dog. He said that they wanted to be more excited about seeing each other than the dog was. And so every day they would top the dog. And what this did is it made them laugh. It set a positive tone. You know, they were able to reconnect with each other. It was very apparent they could be present with each other. And again, you know, the humor, it's just hilarious. Imagine walking into the house and barking at your wife and your wife barking back at you or your mate or your spouse or your partner or your roommate or whomever. So Sean and I decided to create our own Top the Dog. So we actually have this secret handshake that we do that is ridiculous and kind of long. It takes us like 30 seconds to do the whole thing. And we do it every time we reconnect. And this is a positive reunion. And it is literally one of my favorite happiness inventions and interventions that you can do with kids. Kids love it. You can develop your own ritual. You can do with friends. You can do with your spouse. You can do with anyone who's important to you to reconnect. I love that. I love, I like the barking story, but I I love the secret handshake. What's common in those two practices is they're not verbal. And that's a great way to reconnect. And that's a great way to look at happiness skills is it's when it's not verbal, it's actually it's actually more playful and and it can actually be incorporated into your life in a better way, I think. Oh, my goodness. That is so true. Actually, this counselor was telling me that one of his clients that was doing the we call it the top the dog was doing the top the dog. They chose a dancing and they chose a slow dance every time they reconnect, which is nonverbal as you said, and it really helps them to reconnect. So that is topping the dog is one of my favorite, favorite happiness interventions, skills, habits. But I want to ask you, Ed, what's one of your favorite? Topping the cat. 
Uh, <clears throat> I don't know how you different. top a cat. How you top a cat? It's a little different. No, well, it's breaking down the word meow to meow. No, I, I, that's how you. That's how you express pain. You say meow. And if we let Ed go, yeah. he could create about 150 more jokes out of I that. I would. I would do that. I would do that. No, you see, to me, one of the happiness uh, things that I would do, and it's not a technique, it's not a practice, it's not a skill, but I think, I think trees are really important. And when I go and just like put my hand on a tree, I don't mean look at a tree, I mean put my hand on a tree, it somehow reconnects me. Nature is a real healer for happiness to me. I can remember when I, this is a weird story, but it stuck out. I've remembered it my whole life. I must have been nine years old or eight or seven, six, a young kid. And I grew up in Boston and I grew up in the middle floor of a three-decker apartment building with my grandfather on the bottom floor and my uncle on the top floor. And we were in the middle. It was like an emotional parfait is the way I would call it, way I would describe it. But what I what I did was in the fall, there were leaves and people would burn leaves in barrels sometimes because there were so many leaves and they had fallen from the trees. And I buried myself under a pile of leaves and nobody knew where I was. And what I did was all of a sudden I felt like these leaves on my body, these brightly colored leaves, but I was under them so nobody could see me. So my senses were being comforted by something on top of me that was nature, but also being able to hear the voices of kids traveling through the air. And that feeling has stuck with me my whole life. When I think of something that makes me happy, it's not so much about doing something with me. It's about not doing something. It's about being still and it's about being present and it's about being at peace. I can count. I yeah. Being at peace is, is equal to me to being happy, being at peace and being free, not having a sense of time, not thinking about time. And there's many other experiences. I've had some real spiritual experiences, which I'll do on another another show because I don't want to freak anybody out who's listening. They're already freaked out. Yeah, don't worry about it. They probably were freaked <laughs> out originally, but yeah. So so yeah. So so hap- that one happiness practice is is just connecting yourself to nature. I know there's a whole forest bathing movement in Japan that's moved around the world, but it's basically what you're saying, you know, it's surrounding yourself by nature. It's amazing. Now people are, and yeah, really just being with it. Yeah, now Pete, that's it, being with it. People are probably going to think, where do I have time to put my hand? I'm not going to go put my hand on a tree. Go put your hand on a tree. It's not going to hurt you. In fact, you it'll have probably to be, make there, you happy. There must be a tree in the vicinity. We have to be within one or two minutes of a tree. Yeah. Yes. Go outside and put your hand on a tree. I love that. If you can't that. find a tree, find that. a plant. If you can't find a plant, find a flower. If you can't find a flower, find uh, find somebody named Phil. <laughs> okay. I'm worried about what direction this is going to yeah. go <laughs> Who is Phil and why am I putting my hand on him? Uh, I don't know. Phil was my father's name, but that's a different show. <laughs> So listen, I mean, I think that the interesting thing about these practices is that they're really quick to do and they're free. So I guess the question becomes, why don't we do them more often? What happens that we lose sight of something taking just a minute? The brain is telling you to get rid of problems. 
Mm-hmm. And the brain is telling you what you have to do that day and what you have to do. It's really you're in survival mode. And really a happiness practice can be <laughs> it can be actually asking yourself, Am I happy right now? And if you're if you ask yourself that question, you're gonna get an answer. And I'm gonna bet that most people will say no, I'm not. And then you can say, Okay, is there anything I can do about it? And then you can come up with answers about what connects you to happiness. And usually they're pretty simple things. They're not, you know, if you have to have a Ferrari to be happy, you know, maybe you should take another look. One of my other favorite things to do, especially with kids, is to have them take a strengths survey. Now, this sounds like it takes a little bit longer, but I'll give you the shortcut version as well. But it's so interesting to me how we don't talk about our strengths. You know, this is not something that we we don't use the strength vocabulary. We don't talk about it that often. When it comes to kids, sometimes we will give them a strength label. We'll say, you're so smart or you're so creative or you're so X, Y, and Z. But this is a little bit different. So you can go online and this is where there's no affiliation, but it doesn't matter because it's free anyway. But you can take something called the VIA. That's V as in Victor, I as in India, A is an apple character strength survey with your kids, right? So there's a youth version and there's a grown up version. And what this does is it asks you a series of questions and then it will produce a report showing you what your greatest strengths are. This is one of the biggest, most groundbreaking things that has come out of the research in positive psychology that identifying your strengths, your character strengths, and using them and talking about them and applying them can really increase your happiness. Now, if you don't have time to go to a site and take a survey, you can just think about them and talk about them with your kids. And one great, great way to do this is to tell a strengths story. We do this anyway as parents. So I'll give you an example. Yesterday, my son was actually in a play. So cute. So cute. His (laughs) teacher, he's five. His teacher emailed me and said, so-and-so in the class doesn't want, they did this story called Caps for Sale. It was a book I read when I was a kid. But so-and-so in the class doesn't want to be the lead in the play anymore. And so Jude, Jude's my son, is going to be the lead. (laughs) I was so excited, but he was nervous. When I saw him, you know, that day when I picked him up and it was going to be the following day, he said, Mommy, I don't want to do it. So I said to him, you know, I'm trying to use my research. Uh-huh. And I said, you know, sometimes feeling nervous, it's totally fine. I get that way, too. But sometimes it's excitement. And, you know, he wasn't buying it. He's like, listen, I'm not going. I don't want to do it. So I said to him, let's just show up. Let's just show up. That's it. Let's just show up to school and that's it. You know, I'm not going to force you to do anything. So we get to school and he does the play and he's amazing and I loved it. And it was like such a joyful moment for me. And when we got home later, when I was putting him to bed, I said to him, you really, really used your strength of bravery today. And that means that you did something that you were scared of doing and you did it anyway. And so this was a little bit of a strength story. So the point of what I'm saying is that we can talk to our kids about their strengths in context, right? Instead of saying, you're so X, Y, and Z, which we all do. I do it too, right? But how about a story that really helps them identify how they're using a strength? And what that can do for them is that next time they face a challenge, instead of what we're talking about on this podcast episode, just working on fixing what's going wrong, they might use strength-based problem solving. What character strengths do I have? Am I 
do I have the strength of creativity? Do I have kindness? Do I have humor? They can use any of these strengths. And if they've taken the survey, it's easy for them to refer back to it and say, yeah, I'm really creative. You know, this is I can do some creative problem solving. It's a tremendous thing to do with kids. I super, super recommend it. But you don't even have to take the survey. You can just come up with a list of words. That's a great idea. And character building. Kids demonstrate a natural ability that they're strong in certain areas. They're just naturally strong, whatever your child leans towards. And I don't know why people don't develop things that come easily to them. Why are we- Don't develop them, why they don't work on developing them more? Yes. Why don't people develop the things that are natural to them, that they have a natural inclination towards, and that are not efforted? There's no effort to it. Like, why isn't something that's effortless actually something that you can build your life on? Because I think we're working on all of the things that we feel that they may be a weakness for us, you know, and that we need to better them, right? So it's the same, kind of the same idea. Yeah. And I would say if your child shows a, you know, shows a natural ability or something comes easily to them, why not explore that some more? Why not support that some more? Why not shine a light on it so that you can say, you're really good at that. That's a real strength of yours. Because that's what people can do with their lives. Chances are, people, there's this efforting thing. You have to become better at something. Why not become better at what you're already good at? Mm, That's important. And what I like about that, too, is that you don't stop, right? It's not like you came into this world with a an abundance of X, Y, and Z. And so now I'm not going to work on that because I already have that. We are a continual work in progress. I think that is such an important lesson for kids to learn. Something else that's coming up for me is what you were talking about, about the leaves and going outside and this memory for you. I love to teach kids to savor because once you have a good experience, why not use that as fuel for your well-being? What we know from the research is if you think back on a good experience, you can experience those same emotions again. So once you have a good experience, you can sit in gratitude of that experience. You can really imagine that experience. And we all know that if you've had any type of experience that sticks with you, that if you smell something that was associated with that memory, or you hear a song that was associated with that memory, it can come back in a very strong way. But we also know that if you sit and you visualize the actual experience you had, you can really evoke those same feelings again. So if you've had a good experience, don't only feel the good feelings one time, sit and savor them and teach your kids to savor them. So I think we should do a role play where maybe there's a little bit of hesitation by the child, right? We can do that and in practicing an intervention and then how you would ease them into it. But I would say this, even though we're going to do this role play, is that none of these things can be forced down anyone's throat. And one of the best ways to approach this is to really embody it yourself. So, but let's see what happens. Let's try to role play it. Rolling. Let's get ready, people. Quiet on the set. I get. I don't want to go to the birthday party. I don't like any of the people there. I'm not going. Oh, I hear you. What's going on there? Well, huh? I just don't want to go. Night. I don't know anybody. I don't like any of those people. I don't have anything in common with them. They don't. They never talk to me. I always feel like the outsider. I don't want to go. Yeah, I hear you. I hear you. Remember the last birthday party you went to? Do yeah. you remember that one? Yeah. Yeah. Who's, whose party was that? 
Jimmy. Jimmy. Okay. I don't know if you remember this, but do you remember how you were feeling before Jimmy's party? No. Mm, you were feeling kind of the same way that you're feeling right now. You're feeling kind of the same way. You kind of didn't want to go. You thought you might not know anyone. Yeah. So I'm wondering, you know, and I'm not saying that you should go to this party, but I'm wondering if we can think about, because I remember when you came home and something, a couple really great things happened at that party. Yeah. At Jimmy's party, at least. Yeah. I'm wondering if we can, I wonder if you can tell me about that. Tell me about what happened. But can you, I wasn't there. So I'm hoping you can give me as many details as you can. Like, what did you see? What happened? What did you see? What were people wearing? What did it smell like? Can you do that for me? I can. Yeah. I mean, first, you know, first of all, it was a Star Wars thing. So, you know, I mean, I love Star Wars and everybody was either dressed like Darth Vader or Princess Leia or uh, Luke or Han Solo, and a few, there were many Chewbaccas, of course. I started a conversation with somebody who was complete full Chewbacca, and I actually was- From head to toe Chewbacca? Head to toe Chewbacca. Wow. So I was communicating with him. It was like, as Chewbacca, even though I was dressed in a a, uh, Luke Skywalker- outfit. And you remember my, I mean, I love my Luke Skywalker outfit, you know, I, I mean, I that is super cool. I know you've worn it for like four Halloweens in a row. I, I get that you like it every year. I know. Cause I love it so much, you know? So I was, I was like, I had my lightsaber and I was talking to Chewbacca and then I let Chewbacca hold my lightsaber. And then we ended up playing pin the tail on the donkey as those people. And, uh, and it was just really fun. I just remember that I felt like I was in this whole, of course they decorated the whole place, you know, up, like a, like a Star Wars set. But I remember the smells and, you know, I, I remember. What did it smell like? Because I'm closing my eyes now trying to imagine it since I wasn't there. What no. did it smell like? It did, was, could you smell? It yeah, was, what could you smell? smell? Well, there was, there was this amazing, uh, there was a smell of like warm chocolate chip cookies and warm brownies and like those Blonde, those yellow brownies, blonde brownies, whatever they call them. Blondies. Warm. Blondies, yeah. Oh, Blondies. yum. I can, I can almost smell them. And where was the set? Where in the house was the set? Uh, it was in there. It was actually in there. It went all over the house. So it was in, like when you went into different rooms, you had different sets from different periods in Star Wars, different different times in Star Wars. It was just really funny, you know. I just got swept up in it and I forgot that I wasn't that I wasn't Luke Skywalker and I just became this this kind of character. So I had a really good time. Wow, that's amazing. So I'm opening my eyes, but I have to tell you something. I really you did such an amazing description of that. I really felt like I was there. That Sounds like it was incredibly fun. Can you almost feel that feeling again of like excitement and fun? Yeah, I can remember it. I I really um I felt so good there and then when I came back I still felt good. So, yeah, yeah, well, yeah. You know, you never know when something is going to be like that again and you might sort of feel like that again. So, what do you think? You want to maybe give it a try? I guess I can give it a try. We'll see what happens. But I, you know, I want to, I mean, I want to go if I don't, if it's, if I'm having a lousy time, I want to go. Yeah, I know. I, I, I completely understand. I've actually been to parties like that before, but we don't really have a crystal ball. So we're not going to be able to tell how you're going to feel until you go. And it might just be completely worth it. 
Okay. All right. Well, I'll I'll try it. I'll try it. I'll bring my lightsaber. I'm not sure I'm going to wear the whole thing, but I'll bring my lightsaber. It always makes me feel a little better. Good plan. Okay. Right, we got it. Print it. That's a wrap. Lunch, everybody. That's a stick. Yeah, I see what you're doing. So what you're doing there is you're leading your child through remembering and savoring a strength, a feeling that they had a good feeling. And, and really, that's something that I've been experimenting with and we all need to practice. They talk about this in the in the laws of attraction world, but it really is a true thing. A great way to live is to actually remember feeling good and actually give yourself the sense, the feeling of what you think you want. Yeah. And in that case, what we were doing is we were really doing something called hope finding, where you're searching to the past of something that provided you hope. You're searching into the past and you see that you, you know, we were saying, well, you felt the same way before the last party. And then now walk me through why this was so good. So we were using some savoring. But I am firmly of the belief that the practices, you know, the happiness practices we're talking about, gratitude, savoring, you know, we touched on meditation for a second, positive reunions should not be used as behavioral interventions, especially in the moment. While they can modify behavior, these are really something separate, right? This is something that we are using to improve our well-being. And a byproduct of that is always going to be, quote unquote, better behavior. So not necessarily to be used as an intervention if you're trying to kind of modify behavior, but definitely what we did there with hope finding can be used to help a child try to navigate a situation where they're feeling nervous. This is a really interesting thing. It's been a surprising show to me because some of the skills that you talked about at the beginning, the topping the dog, is it's really interesting and, and really playful. And that's a theme of this whole thing is that you can, you can practice these things. You can do them. You don't need to practice them in crisis necessarily, but you can practice them and they can even be a response to anxiety or stress and happiness whatever it is to you, there are skills, there are practices. And in today's world, we can we can actually increase our well-being by practicing the skills of happiness. Look at it as a skill. Look at it as happiness as a skill. That in itself is a whole new world to me. Totally. And please don't go home and bark at anyone without explaining the story, because I don't think that that is going to go over well. And before we lead out with yes. another clip from the Happy Child Summit. Can we talk a little bit about how amazing you guys are for listening yeah. and maybe where they can drop us a review and a rating if you yeah. guys like what you're hearing? You got, you, you've given us some very, very meaningful reviews. I mean, like these are great reviews and it's so kind of you. And I'm so glad that we're so glad that you're listening. Please keep listening, pass it along, share the podcast, but you can find us on iTunes or on Stitcher or anywhere or Google Play, whatever, any place where podcasts are found. But you can specifically go to bit.ly, B-I-T dot L-Y forward slash Dear Anxiety on iTunes. But you can also find it wherever you get your podcasts. Please listen. Please subscribe and pass it on. Let's create a community where we can talk about these issues of well-being and practice them and help each other. 
It's so meaningful to us when we hear back from you. Sometimes people email us. A lot of times people are scrolling down on iTunes and writing a review or leaving a rating. It just helps us reach more people and more kids. So thank you guys so much. We also would love for you to join us at the Happy Child Summit coming up. So you can go to happychildsummit.com. And if you're listening to this and you find that the Happy Child Summit has passed, it's no problem because you can always get the recording. So that's at happychildsummit.com. And I just want to play a clip from the Happy Child Summit where I asked Karen Rockind, who is a happiness expert and researcher, if it's okay if a child or teen is not always happy. Fantastic. Thanks for joining us on Dear Anxiety. Come back next week. Whole new topic, whole new area, whole new world. Rini Jane, Ed Krasnick. Keep coming back. It works if you work it. Thanks, guys. There's a perception that they're supposed to be happy all the time. And that if they're not, then there's something wrong with them. And so let them know that living your happiest life is not about being happy dappy every day. It's not about having that little pleasure every day. You're gonna have days that you're sad. You're gonna have days that you know, trigger something in you and, and you feel angry. And, and if we don't allow a child or an adult to have those emotions, if we don't teach them healthy outlets for them, then they can never be as happy as they can be.